but the thing that I'm learning as a coach is it's a lot different programming for these advanced athletes versus the novices is what kind of volumes they can handle. I, I used to think early in my career, the advanced people could do more. And really it's, you know, even though they're advanced, they're moving a lot more weight. And so they need a little more rest and a little more planning around uh, how many max effort attempts can they really take in a certain amount of time. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line in just a few minutes by Ben Eisenmanger. Now, we're going to go off the script a little week for this week's show and the next couple shows simply because the amazing people that produce my podcast, I mean, they want like a summer break. They're going to do like a vacation or something. So in an effort to help them do that, I am trying to get all of my show elements done a couple weeks in advance. So we're not going to do the standard uh, walk through my week. And instead, we're going to jump right into this episode as quickly as possible. So Ben Eisenminger is the owner of Be Strong KY in Erlinger, Kentucky. He's a personal trainer and a strongman competitor. The coolest thing is he recently placed first in the United States Strongman National Championship in the middleweight division. Ben is also a dedicated father and husband that balances these important elements of life while training at a high level. His passion is coaching others to achieve their strength goals and igniting their passion for lifelong success in fitness. So as you can imagine, given Ben's background, we are going to take a deep dive into the world of strongman training and competition today. It's such a fascinating sport. We're going to talk about how Ben got started. We're going to talk about the unique aspects of training for strongman, how he does his training splits, the specific like postural demands that are relevant to the sport, how it's maybe a little bit different from powerlifting. We're going to talk about getting ready for a competition and being smart when you're building up, making sure you're not burning yourself out during the training process. And we're going to talk about arguably my favorite part of the show, where we talk about finding this balance between training at an incredibly high level, competing at an incredibly high level, while still balancing time with your family, with your loved ones, and kind of keeping your eyes on the prize and knowing what's really important in your life. So I'm telling you, my friend, this is an awesome episode. I can't wait to get into it. So enough for me. Let's do this. It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. 
Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March 2021. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Ben, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, thanks for having me on. It's an awesome show. Killer you know, guest list. Been going for a while, so just really excited to have this conversation. We said before, I, I used to get to talk to you a couple of times a year. <laughs> right. Least. You right. know, for a good stretch of time. So now with COVID, we haven't got to talk for uh, two years now. So I, I was really looking forward to this. So, but my name is Ben Eisenminger. I'm a married father of three. That's my, you know, first title and most important. Uh, next comes, I also own a gym in Erlanger, Kentucky. I'm a strongman and kettlebell instructor and competitor. And I just recently won the United States Strongman National Championship in the middleweight division. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So talk to me. Give me your backstory. Like what led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all this? I think my story is similar to a lot of people's. I was, you know, kind of an overweight kid and, and found some weights. And all, a lot of it came through my dad. So just a little rep. My dad has cerebral palsy, so he's handicapped. And, you know, was told he was never going to walk. He got crazy surgeries, learned to walk, lifted weights, That's set awesome. records and Stairmasters and walking. And so first there's like excuse just didn't exist in our house. So he he kind of got me into training, really pulled me in. He never pushed me to do anything. I just saw him doing it and making friends. So that really pulled me into the world first, which then was just reading the old Arnold books and muscle and fitness. And so it was, it was early bodybuilding influence. And I saw an instant improvement in my athletic performance, even doing poor bodybuilding execution. It still had an instant benefit. So, yep. and the other people noticed this. So all my friends would come to my house we would lift in the basement on, you know, whatever Dick's equipment we had. And so that really kind of started and planted the seed for coaching people. I, I was training so many of my friends in the basement. And so it was really early in my life that like, I knew this is exactly what I wanted to do. And this is all I've really ever wanted to do since I was a teenager. So it made it easy to find the career path. No, dude, that makes it, makes it so easy. And I was the same way, you know, like I, I realized very early on, like I'm not the most athletic kid, but man, once I started lifting weights and working out, I was like, okay, this makes a difference. So talk to me, like, how do you go from training your random high school bros and friends in your basement to where you're at now? Like, talk to us a little bit about your career path and kind of the stops that you maybe had along the way. Yeah, I started, went to school for athletic training because I thought that was weightlifting. Right. Um, and, <laughs> right? and no advisor or anybody told me any different. So it's kind of the early story of my career is, is maybe not the best mentorship so I went to a school for athletic training after, you know, a couple of years of that with tons of clinical hours and uh, rehab base. I was like, this isn't what I want to do. So I started to make the transition to more of the more biology and performance, but found out that I was going to be a father at 19. So that kind of derailed my college career. And, and I honestly, I was, I was ready to go to work. I wasn't the most academic. And, you know, so I, I started doing personal training at a local gym, little bodybuilding gym. That's where the career kind of took off. I, I wasn't making much money. So I think most personal trainers early on, it's personal trainer slash blank. 
yeah. what is yeah. your second job? Right. And so for me, I, you know, just work bars and, and odd jobs because I, I was not going to give up on this dream. So then I just kind of climbed through the ranks and from being a, a track person, I threw shot put and discus and hammer that exposed me to strength training and okay. Olympic movements. And, and I wasn't very good at the Olympic moves. I couldn't squat very well. I have a lot of hip uh, or had hip issues and, and didn't know how to navigate through some of those early on. And so that's when I, I found kettlebells and the, especially the idea that, you know, kettlebells are more hinge based Olympic type movements that really kind of gripped me. And they were, they were kind of odd. They were, they were different and, you know, lots of grip and they hurt and left bruises. And, <laughs> and that just reminded me of, of throwing. And so that kind of led me into, you know, I had a, a searching period and then I found kettlebell training and, and the only thing we had around was kettlebell sport coach. Mm. And if, if anybody see me, I'm not built like a kettlebell sport athlete. And <laughs> right. So, so I, I dabbled with that for a little bit, just trying to find, find my pathway. And so that's, that's kind of how it started in kettlebells. And then from there, I don't even know how it happened, but uh, a strongman competition came up that was about an hour South of where we were at. And I saw that they had a novice division. I thought, I'm a functionally strong dude, whatever that meant to me at the time. Right. And so I signed up and, and showed up and, and it was a huge awakening moment. Like I was not ready for that. <laughs> and it turns out kettlebell pressing is not log pressing. And <laughs> so almost instantly my body was wrecked. It was a kind of a coming to Jesus moment of this isn't the same thing, you know, just training functionally. It's not high end performance training. Mm. And so it was really a big waking, you know, like eye-opening moment. And I tell young trainers now, like there's a couple of ways you can kind of sniff out, you know, the bullshit. Usually it's through education. So going and getting a good education and people tell you, you know, how to look at studies and, you know, beware of these hot words and don't really fall for fad things. And I've noticed that people with, with really good educations and good mentors is they don't, they don't fall for the fads. And I think the other way you, you kind of filter that out is through competition. Because if something doesn't work, then you're not going to win. Right. So that was, I had to take the long way, the painful way of losing a bunch of competitions and have to put the, put the mirror back on myself and my training. And, and that's when I started to dive more into real quality training, trying to find, you know, top-notch programs and coaches and performance people and actually listening to them. And so it, if I had stayed in school, maybe I would have learned that and going through it and finding the right mentors. But you know, I still found that pathway through competition and filtering out stuff that didn't work. Well, and the great thing about that, you know, if you want to put, you know, the bright side of all this, like the fact that you did take some losses along the way probably made those lessons that you learned, they stood out a lot more to you, right? Versus sometimes if you're told something, you're like, yeah, right. But it, when you lose, right, sometimes that's the strongest lesson you're ever going to have. Right. It's for me, I was hiding behind my weakness, you know, my strengths and not showcasing my weaknesses. And it's really easy to show what you're good at on the internet in small doses. And, yep. but after some losses and, and that's real objective, like it doesn't matter what you think your training is like that's, you got third place. So, <laughs> right. so it was, it was a real kind of objective slap in the face uh, that I needed to reevaluate where training was. And, and luckily from that point, I, I had left that kind of explorative world of functional training and I started working at some, some good PT gyms, some smaller personal training coaches. And, and that's how I got into, you know, training through strong first, some strong first certified kettlebell instructor and, 
and barbell coach. And, and it just started to meet people who treated like profession and how they educated themselves, conducted around clients, like, and there was definitely a growth. So I bounced around a couple of gyms and just learning from a lot of people. And, you know, eventually got hooked up with, with you guys and, and through some of the awesome events you guys have had, it, it just spiderwebbed out. Yeah. And so that was, even though I didn't get to meet, like I said, these people through maybe in academia, through the working world and competition, I got integrated into some really quality coaches and, and that just came back on me. So it's really cool as a field of personal training, the, the level of self, like self-improvement and growth that you see, yep. you know, I don't know too many of my friends and their jobs that, you know, are deciding to wake up early to read and meditate, write down their goals and, right. you know, work on maybe their, their fasting or whatever it may be. I, I see a lot of personal growth in the training world that I've really picked up and it's helped me out a lot. And I think it's an awesome part of the field. Agreed. Agreed. So let's, let's rewind here just a little bit because you kind of found very loosely your way into strongman. But for somebody that's listening to this, I mean, how do they even get started in this space? Right? Because I feel like of all the sports, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, strongman is still kind of on the fringe a little bit, or it's less well-known other than what you see on ESPN. So how does somebody get started in that world? Great question. It's, it is a niche thing, even though it's building popularity. The, the best way is going through the main groups. So the two main federations you can look for are United States Strongman. So that's the federation that I won uh, my national championship at. And then there's Strongman Corporation. And so they have little different weight classes, but generally you're going to find competitions all around the country. I'm not really sure about worldwide. So anybody who's tuning in across the world, I, I, I'm sure if you just type in strongman competition near me, you might find something. But for the United States, those are the two main ones. And what's cool about strongman is there's so many different divisions and weight classes, men's, women's, masters, that it really is everyone's able to jump in. So if you have any kind of gym experience, you're familiar with deadlifts and pressing, you could probably jump in and, and not do pretty, pretty bad, you know, not do too bad in it. And so you can find one that's local, start off in the novice division and weight class is appropriate for you. Um, and then the next step from there is like finding out what equipment you need. So that is the other side of the coin is like, it is kind of weird equipment to have. Yeah. You know, not many gyms have logs and Atlas stones. So you kind of have to find somebody who either has it, try to recreate it, or like my, a lot of my friends do, we should make our own. So if you have some handy friends that have tools and access to these materials, you can kind of start to make your own stuff. And there's a pretty good community that shows people, you know, gives you the blueprints and how to make it. But luckily nowadays, there's a lot more available online, you know, Rogue, Elite FTS, a lot of these big brands are carrying more strongman equipment. So, you know, I recommend to most people build that collection slowly. Don't just drop <laughs> a bunch of money at once. <laughs> right. I think the big ones are, there's always an overhead press. So like a log or an axle, axle being a fat bar, you just need a straight bar for deadlifts or a trap bar is a great great tool for strongman because that can double as a farmer's carry and a deadlift implement. And then either be able to get your hands on some sandbags or Atlas stones, because that is just its own kind of animal. There's nothing in the gym that can train for that. And those things aren't crazy expensive, but it's definitely going to help walk into a competition a little more prepared. But if I can recommend anybody, just sign up, sign up and do it. You'll meet a bunch of people. You might find somebody close to you. You can jump in, like just put your name in the hat and go for it. It is an awesome community of people. I've been to bodybuilding. I've been to powerlifting. It gets pretty tense in those rooms. Strongman is one of those things like everybody's happy to see everyone succeed. It's almost to the point you think you're going to turn around and people are just cracking beers. You know, it's, it's so relaxed <laughs> right. and fun. 
And your, your biggest supporter is usually the guy you're trying to beat. And I just don't see that a lot in other sports. So it's, it's an awesome community that I recommend anybody, you know, at least go and watch because uh, yep. it's, it's unlike anything else I've seen. Well, and I don't want to steer too far off the beaten path here, but it, this reminds me of my first powerlifting meet. And I remember being in the weigh-in room and there was a guy next to me. His name's Eric Nixon. I don't know if he still competes, but he was a strong dude. And he walks in. I mean, first off, he's just chiseled, right? And you're kind of eyeing everybody and like, who's my competition going to be? And I remember looking at him. I'm like, damn, this dude looks jacked. I'm like, man, he's going to smoke me. And then we get on the scale and I realize not only is he going to smoke me, he's in the weight class below me, right? <laughs> I'm a 181. He's a 165 and just shredded and he's dense. So it's like going into a competition. I think the great thing is like you alluded to this, you were probably pretty strong by normal human being standards when you did that first competition or that first meet. And then you go to something like this and you realize, oh, wow, there's a whole nother level to this when you want to get serious. Oh, yeah. it's There's definitely a big fish in a small pond thing going. And I had a similar instance. I walked in my first competition. I'm, I'm about six foot. You know, time was about, I'm always about 230. Yep. And the guy walking in front of me was like 6'5", 350. And the guy behind me was bigger than that. <laughs> and the two, guys check, the two guys checking me in, the McCann brothers, they're twins. They look like they could have been doubles for ogres in movies. Like <laughs> I walked in and right away was the smallest person that I, I could see. So it's funny. People see me and think that I'm pretty muscular. And I'm like, I'm a middleweight. You guys have right. some big guys. But, and then the same thing in nationals, I walked in and you're looking around to see the competition is going to be. And I saw two guys that were just jacked to the T and same thing. Like these guys, guys me in my competition and no, they were the weight class below me. Yeah. So it's, it is a totally different world out there that people don't realize these are like monsters walking amongst us. Yep. Yep. I love it. So I want to jump off that question because a lot of people listening to the show have probably dabbled at least in the power lifts, maybe the Olympic lifts. They've done some kettlebell stuff, but again, strongman is maybe something they haven't had as much time or experience with. So what are some of the postural and movement demands that are unique to strongman training and competition? Yeah, it's, it's very similar to powerlifting in the strength aspect. You'll see a lot of similar body types. It's a sagely dominant sport. You know, yep. there might be a turnaround and implement, but you're not seeing anybody really rotate. You know, right. Everything's front to back. So it's having this really strong base in your basic movements, your sagittal plane movers is still really important. So that powerlifting base is great to work off of and you kind of can sneak in stuff. You know, the big difference, obviously, locomotion, you can't get totally wrapped up in the most guys in powerlifting is really good. They look like they're kind of stuck in a squat rack. <laughs> you, you have to have a little bit of hip movement for strongman. Yep. So you can't go down that rabbit hole too much, but generally it's high strength. So there's going to be some stiffness involved. So it's not a sport that you're going to get more mobile. You know, it's, it is going to require a lot of stiffness, but I think there's still more range of motion demands than powerlifting because there's, with a lot of the implements, you have to bend over all the way to the floor. So like picking up an atlas stone or picking up a sandbag, it's a much lower than where a barbell would be. So having just a little more hip and back range of motion. And then the difference of you're reaching overhead with the implements versus horizontal pressing. You know, bench press, you can get away with having really stiff shoulders. But in strongman, if you can't reach overhead with both arms and even one arm in some events, then that's going to be a huge limiting factor. So there's a little bit more mobility demands than, than powerlifting. And then I think the biggest one is that people look at 
you see someone picking up an atlas stone or a sandbag or carrying the head, there's the rounded thorax. So in most of powerlifting, you have the shoulders back, you know, proud chest, where in strongman, you have to be able to flex. You have to be able to reach and expand that posterior uh, part of your rib cage, and then also be able to breathe there, you know? So we, we use that a lot in our training is, can I expose people to this kind of closed off position of their chest and still be able to breathe and move? So we, we still focus a lot on like reaching movements. Uh, I love like stuff like Zercher movements where people get used yeah. to having a weight on their chest and being able to open up and, and breathe behind them. So I think that's, that's the biggest difference between our strongman and powerlifting programming here at the gym is a little bit more reaching, a little more being comfortable with a little bit of rounding. And then obviously we have to work in some speed and agility drills. So where in powerlifting, it might be more just barbell work. We have to throw in some moving events some different throws at the end. So the programs look very similar with, I'd say just different touches on the accessory mm. lifts, but we still got to get really strong. Yeah. Uh, being really strong transfers to both sports. So that's sure. still the main goal. For sure. So that actually kind of moves seamlessly into my next question, because, you know, everybody that's competed in powerlifting or, or even follows any kind of basic strength training program knows a lot of programs are built around squatting, benching, deadlifting, and while, like you've alluded to, that's the same in your sport, there's also other nuances and other elements to that. So give me an idea. What does a typical strongman program look like? Like how many days a week are you doing? Are you building the program around specific lifts or specific events? Like how does that look? Yeah, that's, I think a lot of this obviously going to vary based on the competition. But generally you have your deadlift uh, is always going to pay off uh, an overhead press. Uh, would be the other big lift. And then we program a lot of, we still do squatting. You know, that's, it's going to make a strong torso. I think I lean more towards the front squat for strongmen um, because the extra torso strength, yep. it's that front loaded position that, you know, you kind of got to get used to not being able to breathe. And and so that's, that's important. And then we have maybe an event specific day. Uh, if you're only doing like a four day split. So we'll come in and just go through the exact events. And then we always throw in, conditioning between with some extra like hypertrophy work. So I think you, you were the first one that coined this term of the body armor, You're using yeah. hypertrophy is building body armor. And I really like that idea of, you know, giving me an excuse to train some bodybuilding movements. And, yeah. and it really does help. There's a lot of movements that the weights and stuff are sitting on you and they're uncomfortable and having extra muscle mass around your joints is always going to help. So just from the aspect of protecting yourself with soft tissue, and also allowing yourself greater strength potential. So I think there still needs to be a place in there for hypertrophy work. So then we we go between what's the event demand. So if we have an event, you know, say we split up, we have our deadlift, our press day, a squatting day, and then uh, event specific and an accessory day, then we just have to cater that to whatever the events are. So in strongman, you're going to get a few different uh, objectives. You have max effort lift, so a one rep max attempt. Uh, max repetitions in a certain time period, or uh, say a medley or ladder for max speed. So that's going to really depend on the program. So you you might get all three of those in a single comp. So that's a lot of demands that you have to play, go between. So luckily, my nationals was a lot of repetition speed. So it's pretty straightforward programming. But one we have coming up, it's got a one max effort event, one max repetition event. The deadlift is max repetition, which is really 
not fun to train. It's <laughs> a car deadlift. So it could be 30 reps or it could be five. And then a couple of events that it's about go through as fast as you can. So, so then we have to figure out how to build that program, almost kind of build it backwards of, do I need to train this more endurance, train this more max effort strength? And how do we balance that stress through the week and, and get more specific as we go in? So it, it's a challenge programming for it and meeting all these demands because it could be three totally different like energy systems that you're having to train right. with all these different body parts and events. Okay, so that leads me to some follow-up questions here. Number one, do you know the events going into a, a competition? Like, do they tell you, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this, or is it totally random? Yes, for the most part. <laughs> so the, they release event list months ahead of time because these okay. guys need to fill up the events. You know, these are promoters that are putting it on. It's not like through a giant federation. It's, it's gym owners that are hosting their competition. So right. We'll post the event list, and you just find they'll give you your weights, too. So that's nice. That's nice. Okay. That being said, it's not powerlifting. There's no calibrated weights. There's no specialty bars. And they reserve the right to change the event up until two minutes before you go. Oh, my um, gosh. Which we've done. And sometimes things break. Sometimes logistics don't happen. So so there's always there's an element of staying resilient mentally. So anything could happen. You have no idea what the equipment's going to look like most of the time. So yes, you know, but you have to be ready for anything. And then occasionally they get a little funny with events. The next one we have trained for, there's a mystery event. So we have no idea. So okay. <laughs> we can kind of guess and see what they're posting. And, but I'd say 90% of the time you can train very specifically for what's coming up. And then there's a little wiggle room. It kind of keeps it exciting. I gotcha. I gotcha. And then another question I had was, do you have a favorite day to train? So you got kind of a squad day, an overhead press day, a deadlift day, and an event day. Like, which one is your favorite? Uh, mine's definitely the deadlift day. <laughs> um, and I like doing some strongman stuff on deadlift day. It, and probably second place would be event day. I will avoid pressing and squatting day, you know, in my head <laughs> until the moment before. It's, those are my best events, and I really have to push myself to get through them. But I always look forward to, to deadlifting. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so something else we discussed was, you know, there's this unique aspect in strongman that you have to be well-conditioned, right? Like it's not just a one-off expression of strength or power. Like there are times when you do that, but there's also times where you're going to do things for reps or for extended periods of time. So how do you account for that in your training and in your prep work? Yeah, that's, it's a tough thing, but as a coach, it's, it's really fun, you know, to try to solve these problems, Yes. Uh, see how we can deal with this with all the different types of athletes. So the first thing is identify the needs of the, the event. You know, if it's a max speed event, then we have to train that max speed. We have to really kind of prioritize that anaerobic side. Almost all strongmen is anaerobic, but maybe it's going to be a little more alactic, especially for our lighter weight guys who are moving much faster. You know, they don't have the same tank to drive into more kind of lactic energy. They run out a little quicker, whereas the bigger guys, they might be slower, their weights are heavier. So figuring out the needs of the events and then also catering it to the weight class and the person. So, you know, like I said, for example, the say a yoke carry, if it's only going to be a 10 second event, then maybe we'll train a little more lower interval bike sprints to get them used to moving really fast and try to drive that force up in a longer in a shorter period of time. And we'll start off a little more capacity focused further out from the meet and then really start focusing on driving those watts up and driving the speed up the event. So it's the needs of the, the event, 
uh, and then building backwards from there. It's really difficult for the max rep events that are also really heavy. So that's what's different to strongman is it's this high force for extended duration. Yeah. So if someone has you know max reps at 600 pound deadlift, but they only have a 650 deadlift, you know. So then we still have to play the get stronger game. But generally, I like to to start off with lower intensity work, build the volume, and then really peak as we get closer. I think the biggest issue with a lot of guys, they try to go comp weights way too early or go heavy way too early. So we'll use lower percentage of comp weights sometimes and then build up. So like, you know, maybe the first phase would be about 50 to 60% of comp weight, but for sets of 10, sets of eight and try to build volume there. And then the next phase, we'll get into that 75, that sweet zone, that 75% to 85%. Yep. Build really quality sets of five try to build the volume there. And then as competition gets closer, we'll actually start to get into that 90% of comp weights and try to maximize. And so for a max rep event, it would build up each week. We say like the third week being a rep max attempt. So we can, we can see where they're sitting as far as their numbers. And then that helps with planning as far as comp day goes. So we want to still expose the body to these events and the demands of the events but not at the competition weights until we get close to it. I think that sees a lot of breakdown. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it, it actually answered a follow-up question I had, like this difference between general versus specific training, because I would assume when you have a novice and somebody that's just coming in there, like there's a very kind of broad stroke to the program of, hey, look, we just got to get you stronger in all these foundational movements first. Go do the comp and we'll kind of see where it goes versus somebody such as yourself you know, you've got yourself to a certain level of strength. Maybe you need a little bit more, but now you probably need a little bit more times on the specific elements of the competition and training that to get yourself ready for that. Am I correct? Yes, definitely. There's definitely a baseline strength you have to have to be competitive. Yep. You can kind of identify that. If someone's competing in the novice division, probably don't get as specific to the events. Yep. They just need to keep getting stronger and yep. getting more fit, whatever they're they're lacking. So that's easy. We'll, we'll just keep pounding away at a, you know, deadlift overhead press squat program with some event training and, and just try to get better each comp. And yep. at that point, we're just trying to add 10 pounds of lift here and there and until they get competitive. And then, yeah, when it gets really competitive, we can get super specific with the weights and the speed. They can handle those loads a little better. But the thing that I'm learning as a coach is it's a lot different programming for these advanced athletes versus the novices is, is what kind of volumes they can handle. Like, I used to think early in my career, the advanced people could do more. And really it's, you know, even though they're advanced, they're moving a lot more weight. And so they need a little more rest and a little more planning around uh, how many max effort attempts can they really take in a certain amount of time. So that, that is a tough thing to balance. The novices, you can let them go at it pretty frequently. But as you get more advanced, we want to be more specific, but we have to be careful of how much volume we're putting on them with these high amounts of weights and especially some of these movements are pretty tough on the joints. Yes. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the big day is here. You've got a competition. How do you manage the weeks and days leading up to that to ensure that you're in peak condition? Yeah, we, we kind of touched on that just now, like the learning how to scale back volume based on the weight. So where I'm at right now, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty high level. So I can't train crazy hard as we get close to competition is the bro in me wants to <laughs> lift really heavy going up to the competition. But as I've gotten older and wiser and, and hire better coaches, it really becomes this nice scale back. So 
couple weeks before, you get a couple runs about your competition weight, you watch the videos, make any changes, and then maybe get one more heavy session in about seven to 10 days out. And then it comes time to like getting the body right. So if you need to get any therapy, you know, working with some professionals that can do some soft tissue work is really helpful because you can't really make any big changes a week or two out. So that's where I think the soft tissue and therapy work can be really helpful. And then it's, it's trusting the process, you know, not diving into the weight room anymore, like trusting the work you put in, having your videos there. Videos are really helpful for the coaching aspect, but also for confidence leading up so you can watch it and visualize it. And then the visualization has been really helpful for me is, is taking actual time to sit down and mentally go through the competition. Every rep, every event, you know, how am I going to execute this? What are the rep goals I'm looking for? And so that way, when it comes time, I feel like I've already done this competition a thousand times in my head is actually setting aside time to visualize. And then, so the week before, usually at the high level, everybody's cutting, you know, you got to cut some weight. Right. And no, this isn't a sport where people usually diet too hard. So the weight cut is pretty challenging. So, you know, making sure you're doing that right and healthy. So for me, it's a, a big water load with sodium load and then slowly pulling that sodium and that water out. And sometimes that's just as tough as any part of the prep of going a couple of days without drinking water. And this last time for nationals, I was, I had to cut about 15 pounds. So it's not terrible. It's not comfortable. So I go to the airport. I was supposed to fly out at like nine. Fasted until nine, had drinking water. I was good. As soon as I walked through security, it was a four hour delay on my flight. Yeah. Um, and I was already through security, so I wasn't going to go back home. So it was, that was definitely a mental challenge sitting in that airport. Everyone around me is just snacking and eating and you just smell like Cinnabon hitting you in the face. And <laughs> Starbucks. So, you know, I, I ended up just throwing on my headphones and walking through the terminal for four hours. So it's just not letting any of those distractions pull you away, just really staying focused. And uh, the one other little tip, if any other strong man hears me is you know, don't go outside your menu. I've seen a lot of people, they travel and they try to go out somewhere, eat or eat something different, like eat the food you're comfortable with. You know, if you got a chain, usually eat, stick to it uh, or bring your food. But one of the worst thing you can do day before comp is eat something crazy and then be sick the day of. So yeah. that's a little insider tip is stay with the, the food you're comfortable with. I love I it. I think it's why so many professional athletes eat McDonald's everywhere they go is it's consistent food. Right. Right. That's crazy. But that's a great point. So one other question I have is, so powerlifting is all done in a day. Is strongman, is that done in one day? Is it split up over two? Like how do they typically set that up? Uh, usually one day in, in this realm, when you get to the really high level stuff, some of the stuff you see on TV, they'll split that between two days. So just recently there was a, for the first time ever, 105 kilo guys, so 231s were on ESPN mm. on July 4th. So it's usually they only show the big monster guys. So right. uh, I'm happy that uh, the lighter weight guys are getting some love now. Yeah. Um, but that was split between two days. I think it's just the scope of the lifts and how heavy they are. It's, it's really hard to do that many people in one day that heavy. So the higher level stuff will be split between two days, but most of the time it's any amateur level is going to be in one day. Um, you're looking at about five to six hours. So it's a lot like powerlifting. You got to get jacked up to then sit around and wait. You know? Yes. Yeah. And so you have to be ready to sit down, eat something, try to bring your nervous system down a little bit, and then go through the process four or five more times. Um, and that's that's really hard to do. I don't know about powerlifting how you were, but you don't really get hungry between events. 
But if you don't eat, then you're kind of screwed by the end of the day. Yeah. No, it was, I, I still remember our first meet. We used to do uh, this meet in Northern Indiana and we'd be there at seven for weigh-in. The meet would start at nine. Generally, you take your first squat, 9.15, 9.20. And there were many years, because it was a one platform meet, there were like 60 lifters. I wouldn't take my last deadlift till 7.30 or 8 at night. So, I mean, you're there basically all day. And like you said, it's like hurry up and wait. So there's all this anxiousness, all this anxiety, you know, warming up to squat. Am I going to get my first squat in? Well, well, then it's 10.30 and you don't bench till like 1.30, <laughs> you know? So you're right. The hurry up and wait is hard. So this leads me to a question that I think is really important. And it doesn't matter what sport you compete in. If you compete in any strength sport or you compete in any like adult level sport, discipline, motivation, these are words we throw out there, but this is obviously very true in your case. So how do you go about staying disciplined and staying motivated to continue to get better? Yeah, this is a huge topic. I think if I learned more about this than anything else, it would probably help me the most as a coach, Mm. you know? So I I try to tell my people, you know, motivation, it comes and goes. It's kind of like the wind at your back and you got to sail up. It'll just take you. Right. It's not always going to be there. And discipline is the oar that you're going to get out and say, I'm paddling myself forward no matter what. So building that and to carry you forward when motivation is not there is extremely important. And and I know there's books and everything written on this, and we could talk about discipline for a while, but I think the biggest thing that's helped me is signing up. I, you got to put yeah. your name in the hat. You know, if you, if you just say, I'm going to do this when I'm ready, that date gets pushed back. It's just like a moving goalpost that you're never going to hit. So signing up, put your name out there. So that way there's a date coming up. And then the other one is, is having a good team around you is this doesn't mean just post it online. Hey, I'm going to do this. And, you know, hopefully my three fans cheer me on uh, (laughs) is, is actually getting someone else into it and responsible. And, and it's really helpful sometimes to ask someone a favor, you know, I'll ask guys to come in and help me train. And so then now I have them behind me as well. So then I can't let them down. They took time out of their day to help me or, or maybe a therapist now I have all these people that almost depending on me or they really don't depend on me, but I feel like they do. Yeah. And I don't want to let them down and, and just having a great team of guys. So I'm pretty much surrounded by a lot of disciplined people and who you are around really affects who you are. So if you're hanging around a bunch of people who quit on stuff a lot, you know, it's hard to stay disciplined around that. So if you right. see somebody who's, who's disciplined and does the things you're supposed to, probably somebody you should hang around and, and do stuff with. So I have an awesome team of guys that stick to it. And so that just keeps me elevated. It it keeps me going to know that I'm not the only one pushing and trying to do these things. And then the other one is I leave everything in the gym. You know, when I'm done training, I go home, you know, it's have to shut it down. If it's constantly running in your head and obsessing over it, it's, it gets fatiguing. So for me, when I'm done training, I'm done. I don't obsess over the program. I don't sit and watch the videos all day. I, I shut down. So then the next day when I come back, I'm ready to be fresh and go at it again. I love it. I love it. Well, coming back to your point, number one, they may not depend on you, but those people have invested in you, right? And I think if you have great people around you that are invested in you and invested in your success, that's huge. But then the other point that you made that is fantastic advice across the board is just sign up. And this was true for me in powerlifting, right? Just there's a lot of anxiety just behind sending that first meet registration in. So there's that. But this is such a great piece of advice for any aspect of life, right? So like, for example, when I created my complete coach cert, 
Like I put that off forever. I thought about that for two or three years. And finally, I just emailed Paul, the video guy and said, Paul, this is the date we're doing it. And it gave myself like a three month window and you got it done, right? So this is just great advice for any aspect of life. If you're nervous about something or you want to do something, find a way to set a date because you will find a way to get the job done. Oh, definitely. I struggle with this as a business owner sometimes now that I'm my own boss. So <laughs> yeah. Yep. I can do whatever I want and no one's going to tell me. So putting it out there and, and doing projects with other people and having deadlines is totally right. It's, it's helped me in every aspect of my life. Rent's due on the first, so I definitely have to have money on the first. So that really keeps the motivation there. That's right. And same is in the gym. Like you said, it, just sign up, just do it. Who cares if you win or lose? You're definitely going to lose if you don't sign up. And then when you do it, you're going to train so much harder. And then afterwards, you're going to learn so much and get better and better and better. So I totally agree with you. Just sign up, put it out there. And one other thing that's great about this too is like if we're taking it into the realm of competitive sport. The first time, just be prepared for it. Like you said, you're going to get your ass kicked. But man, you learn so much and the growth you see between the first and the second time you compete, it's like night and day, right? Like oh, yeah. as motivated as you are that first time, you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to do this, da, da, da. But getting butt kicked and getting it handed to you and learning, oh my gosh, this is a different level. Now that renewed focus and energy and passion that you bring to the table between your first and your second comp, Man, that really takes you to the next level. And that's, I think, when the juices really get going. Yes, it was my first comp. I showed up. I had two huge mess ups. I was so functionally self-righteous that I was like, I'm not even going to bring a belt. (laughs) (laughs) So I picked up that first blog press. My opening attempt in my back just locked up. So it was the whole day. And it was about four days till I was able to like really move again. (laughs) And a couple guys halfway through like, man, do you want to borrow my belt? And so they could tell that I had made a mistake. And then I saw that there were only five events. So I was like, we're not gonna be there very long. I only took a single quest protein bar. Oh my gosh. And so I was talking to the guy starting like, do your first one. You're going to make one, probably one big mistake. Yep. Just get it out of the way, you know, like go do it, get it out of the way. You'll get better each time. And then we'll laugh about it when you're done. I love it. I love it. Okay. So last but not least, we know that when you're doing something like this, you're dedicating yourself to a sport and that can take a ton of your time and energy. Like you said, you find ways to kind of shut off, but how do you go about balancing this while still making your family and your business a priority? Great question. I hope you've, you've been a great example for people. I, I really enjoy you start the podcast and you kind of run through the dad events. Of the week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, I really relate to that. And, and, so it is the most important thing in my life, which usually means it's going to be the hardest thing to manage. And it really is. And so I just try to keep them integrated in everything I'm doing and, and make sure it stays. So my kids, based on my wife's schedule and I, they usually come and train with me. Like they're at the gym with me a lot. That's awesome. And so you got to have a swiveling head when doing strongman to make sure no one's standing under a weight. But you know, I, I just try to keep them involved. They get to play with it. There's not a point where they see this is my thing that's separate or that I get mad that they're around, you know, cause then they'll grow up to resent it. Yep. You know, I want them to enjoy it and see that it's fun and, and they get to pick up some things here and there and we laugh and we still get our training in, but it, it shows them that we're having a good time doing this and it doesn't have to take away from your family to pursue your goals. And I think it's really important for kids to see their parents trying to go accomplish things, you know, whether yes. that's professionally or for me, it's just a hobby 
kind of professional to them. They might think that I get paid to do this, but they just see me working hard for something. And sometimes I fail, sometimes I succeed, but my life, there's more to my life than just folding their laundry and cooking their meals. And hopefully that encourages them to have hobbies when they get older and continue to pursue things outside of their, their home life. So I just keep them integrated. We, we eat a lot of the same foods. I try to cook healthy foods for everybody. So it's not a separation of me and family. Yep. When, when I'm trying to eat healthier, well, we're all going to try to eat a little more fruits and vegetables and, and chicken. And so it's, it's something we're doing together. And then the biggest thing that I've, I've gotten better at these past couple of years and COVID was awesome for bringing us together. I, I tried not to think about it driving us apart. So I try to plan our time together just like I would plan training. You know, before I set up my strongman training for the week, I set up date night with my wife. You know, before I plan trips to competitions and seminars and stuff, we plan our family vacations first. Yep. So those things come first and that has to be, that has to happen weekly and daily and, you know, through the whole years. I make sure that that time is planned out first and then I fit my strongman and, and training world around that. And then the last one is when you are sacrificing and taking this time away from your family, because it is a, a big sacrifice and I... I miss some of these moments is when it's time to train, you got to get to work. Can't drag these sessions out. Right. You can't make this last three hours when you could have done it in an hour. So, you know, when it's time to train, get to work, focus on the weight room. So that way when you're done, you can actually go spend time with your family and do these things. I love it, man. That's awesome advice. Okay. So big, big question time, my guy, if you could alter the space time continuum and give young Ben Eisenminger one piece of advice, what would it be? I think it would be to do a little more cardio. <laughs> I, was, I was such the, the meathead that thought cardio would kill your gains. And I just was so obsessed with the strength side of things. And, and now that I've gotten into that world and, and man, I, I can't say how beneficial like Joel Jameson's work was for me of, of seeing how that was all broken down, that there was, there's more to cardio than just going and running for 60 minutes. Yep. So that was, that was huge for me. If I could say, learn about conditioning and integrate it because it's only improved my sleep, which then improves recovery. I can train longer sessions. I can, I don't have to rest as long between sets and reps and don't get sore as long. So I think really for me and any strength athlete, like learn more about conditioning and how that can help your strength training. It's not going to take away from it. I promise you won't lose all your gains and look <laughs> like a marathon runner. So I love it. I love it. Okay, so last but not least, we got our lightning round. So in your case, five fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Ready? Yes. Sure. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? As a coach, I think it's hard to pin it down to one thing, but I guess one big theme would be like intern growth. I really love training like the next generation of people. So I've been really lucky to have guys come in under me to learn. And a lot of them now have gone on credential wise, surpassed me and, and gotten a lot of education and, and kill it. And it's just, I think that's my favorite thing is teaching other people things, giving them the, the tools for success and then supporting them along the way, you know, really being a big fan of, of what they do. And so I could do that forever. You know, if I got to keep doing that as a coach, I, I'd never get tired of this job of, of mentoring the next group and then helping them succeed. Yeah. I love it, dude. Okay, I think I know the answer to this one. But number two, what's your career highlight so far as an athlete? I have to say the national championship. You know, that's hard to top. I'll have that belt forever. They might bury it with me. Um, <laughs> but really, I'd say a very, very, very close second would be winning Kentucky Strongest Man. 
that was about two, almost three years ago. And that was kind of my coming out party. It was, we had just had a baby. I had like a six month old baby. Almost all my training sessions were in the garage with him, you know, sleeping and or right. in the other room in the swing. And I did it all by myself. I, I did my own programming. Uh, I only had about half the implements, but I just did everything that I could. You know, I still kept the family first. And I said, just train when you're supposed to do things you're supposed to and just let it happen. And I showed up the day of with no expectations in one with my whole family there. That's awesome. So that had, I guess, more sentiment to it than the national championship because my family wasn't there at this point. I'm so experienced. And I have a whole coaching staff that helps me. And so that that's number one, but a very close second was that Kentucky strongest man. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Number three, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from competing in strongman? I think just competition in general would be intent, making sure that your focus is on the right things. You know, when it's doing the right program, you know, making sure it's geared towards the right thing, prepping yourself on game day. And then when you're at the competition, you have to be hundred percent intentional on each event and how you're going to execute it. And I see a lot of people get distracted and I don't know if it's running away from the moment or just not training, but being hundred percent engaged at every moment during the training process, the buildup and the competition day, you know, that's really the only way to win. It's, it's a game of points. You know, you could be the difference of half a point that you, you win or lose. Mm-hmm. So you just have to stay extremely focused and, and that aspect of competition has just bled to like the rest of my life. For sure. Okay. Number four, what's the biggest mistake you made early on in your strongman training? Well, I guess besides just being a 20 year old, um, <laughs> and doing 20 year old stuff, it was lifting too heavy. You know, I think you're so pressed to move these big weights. You, you see people doing competitions or uh, on social media. And so everyone's constantly trying to max out and, I spent a lot of time spinning my wheels, attempting the same max effort attempt. Um, and it wasn't until I learned that I needed to back the weights down to kind of that, that sweet spot. We measured for that 75 to 85% is of effort. So whether that's repetition effort or even, you know, max effort yep. and building up really quality work there, you know, building your capacity. That's a great way to enhance technique um, because it's still challenging of weights but you can still focus on your breathing, your foot position, your drive, um, and just spending more time in that sub max zone until competition day, you know, the last few weeks you can gear it up, but majority of the work should be sub max and really high quality. That's really interesting. And again, not to go too far on a tangent, but while Westside gets a lot of play here in the U S a lot of the Eastern block powerlifting routines are built upon that 70 to 85% training zone and getting a ton of volume there. And man, their technique is pretty darn good when it shows up on meet day. Oh yeah. It's, I guess they don't obsess over their Instagram numbers as much as we do. <laughs> That's uh, right. But it, that was a, a big light bulb moment for me of, of seeing that pay off and just working those lower percentages and, and not getting too worried that the weights aren't there right away. They'll come. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll come in those peaking weeks. I think seeing powerlifters and strongmen, the numbers jump like those three to four weeks before a show, when you bring the volume down is really cool to watch. Yep. And then when you've done all the right work up to that point, that, that low volume work, the technique stays the same. Yep. But when people don't do that work, they go for a max attempt and everything breaks down. And so you can almost see it when people start lifting. If their technique goes crazy, you just know they're not doing enough time practicing, um, doing too much time testing. Yep. I love it. All right. Number five, last but not least, what's next for Ben Eisenminger? I've been getting this question a lot. I am not, obviously not retiring, but I am taking a little break from competing. 
I pushed the pedal down pretty hard on this, you know, the strength for a while and accomplished some great things. But I think it's time to start addressing some of the other buckets that need to be filled in my fitness and in my life. Uh, I just opened up the gym uh, a year ago. It's doing really well. So that is its own animal. Yep. And I'm just going to obviously need to focus on that and, and excited about the next steps of that. I have a lot of younger strongmen here that are training. I'm getting just as excited about them competing as me. It's nothing beats competition day as far as like your adrenaline and the excitement. And when they go to compete, it's that same feeling for me. Yeah. So I really want to help everyone compete and succeed more. And that hurts my body less <laughs> coaching them do it. Yeah. So I'm really excited. We have a few competitions coming up this season that I keep talking about uh, as if it were my own competition, but, and then obviously like, you know, really upgrading stuff with the family. My kids are 11, six and three. So sports are starting to pick up, you yeah. know, the weekends are being totally consumed with stuff. We're driving across town for dance and gymnastics. And so I'm just getting really excited about it. It's really fun watching them go through it. Some of my best memories in childhood were playing sports, my parents being involved and, and being everything. So I'm getting really excited about doing that stuff with them and, and where I can fit in me, you know, training hard and competing, I'm going to do it, but I, I'm just going to follow the breadcrumbs of where my excitement is. And that's with helping other people and in, in the family. So, but I, I do have some programs coming out on the website. I got some intro to strength, uh, some kettlebell conditioning. I already have a few up there, but this next month or so, as everything, the design gets done, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to kind of bolster what we can offer to people and help people get into the, the strength world safely. So really trying to put more time into getting those finished. I love it, man. Well, Ben, it's been awesome catching up with you today. And this is a great time for you to kind of plug some of that stuff, because where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, I had a great time. It was an awesome conversation. I Hopefully we can kick it back some of the seminars and that's it's right. a short drive across 74 for me to come see you guys. So I, I'm on most social media platforms is be strong KY. So B E is the verb. That's my initials in the be strong. Do a lot of stuff on Instagram. Uh, the gym's got its own Instagram page, but most of my programs and online coaching, you can get through my website. So that's all linked, but it's be strong KY.com. And so that is all uh, accessible and purchasable through the internet. I'm, I'm pretty easily accessible. So anyone can send me a direct message on any of them and I'll get back to them pretty quickly. I love it, man. I love it. And again, Ben, this was so great to catch up with you today. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Uh, thanks, Mike. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Ben. Really hope you enjoyed it. Ben is just such an awesome guy. I have so much respect for him. I mean, I was a very mediocre power lifter, but I put a lot of time and effort into getting better. And I did the bulk of that training and competing before I had a family, before I had a gym. So the fact that he's balancing all of these things and doing them all at a high level is just such a testament to what an awesome man he is. And I've got so much respect for what he does. So small favor to ask from you. If you enjoyed this show or if you learned something from Ben and his journey, please do me a favor and just share this episode with someone else who may benefit from it. It could be a trainer, a coach, uh, a friend or a colleague who wants to get into the sport of strongman. Anybody that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about in the Physical Prep Podcast, if you would share it with them, I would appreciate it more than you know. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>